Okay. We're beginning now Friday's portion of Chumash. So, the verse says, chapter 12, verse 29, It was at midnight, and God smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, sitting on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn animal. So, it says, and God. It was at midnight, and God. Why do we have the and? So, the and refers to God and his court, so to speak. Obviously, court by God does not mean like we would think of it in the human sense, but the prefix and means there's an addition, like so-and-so and so-and-so. So, and God is God and. Who's the and for God? His tribunal court, the angels. Struck every firstborn. So Rashi says, let's meet every firstborn, even firstborns of another nation that were in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh was also firstborn, but he was left alive. He was the only firstborn in the entire Egypt, including non-Egyptians in Egypt, including the animals in Egypt, including the statues of the children in Egypt, the only one left alive in order to be a testimony, to see the complete strength of God, as was, of course, expressed by the splitting of the sea and the destruction of the Egyptians there. From the firstborn of the captive, now, why were the captives struck? And we already learned this previously. Rashi here gives two reasons. One, they rejoiced in the Jews' pain. And two, that they shouldn't say, oh, our God brought the punishment. Now, earlier, it said the firstborn of the servant. Here, it doesn't say that because we're going from the highest to the lowest. The highest is the firstborn of Pharaoh. The lowest is the firstborn of the captives. So the firstborn of the slave women are higher in the rankings than the captives, and therefore they're included and not need to be mentioned. Next verse, and Pharaoh arose at night, he and all his servants and all Egypt, and there was a great outcry in Egypt, so there was not a house where there was not a corpse. So and Pharaoh arose from his bed, arose here meaning to get out of, to rise from his bed at night, which we're emphasizing here that this is very abnormal behavior, because Pharaoh's a king, and king rise, we're told, in the third hour of the day. You know, they're not early risers, they're going to wake up at midnight. And says he woke up. So he was the first one to wake up and then his servants woke up because he got up his servants. In other words, he was very, very, very nervous here because he knows he's the firstborn and he knows exactly what's happening. Moses came and warmed him. And God has done it nine times before, exactly as he said. And this is the plague of the firstborn and everyone's dying and he knows he's the firstborn. So he was very nervous because there's no house where there was no dead. Meaning when the people of Egypt heard this, not that they were like relaxed about it, the firstborns actually started a rebellion. The firstborn, everyone, I won't believe. You can't have gone through nine plagues and not believe. The firstborns actually started a rebellion, and there was a civil war in Egypt, which we say is, is, a, is an indication of, like, we don't have to fight the forces of evil. Let them kill themselves, like we actually have seen um, in recent times with all these civil wars and riots within the Arab world that killed themselves out. So the, the firstborn of Egypt, they were killing out Egyptians. And the Egyptians were fighting back because they knew they were marked men. But people didn't realize the extent of this idea of firstborn. So what does it mean there was no house where there was no corpse? Because let's say in the house, no one there was a firstborn. Well, then the most important person was called the firstborn. And he died. Also, the Egyptian women were very immoral. So they had many children from many other men, 
which means they could have a number of children who were first born to these single men. So a person could have suddenly five of her sons die if they all were to different men. There's lots and lots of dead, far more than the Egyptians had even envisioned. So continuing the verse, he called to Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, go out from among my people, even you and the children of Israel, go and serve God as you spoke. So it says he called to Moses and Aaron at night, meaning he went around saying, Where's Moses? Where's Aaron? Even you, the adult male, the children of Israel, the children, go and serve God as you said. I take back everything I said. I said I won't send. Canceled. I said who's going? Canceled. I said you can't take your animals. Canceled. Do whatever you want to get out of here. And obviously, you know. Take even your flocks and even your cattle as you have spoken and go and bless me as well. So take all of your animals because this is what Moses had said before that you too are going to give us animals for sacrifices. They are saying, fine, take. In other words, take my animals as you have spoken. But bless me, pray for me that I should not die. For I am the firstborn. Egypt urged the people to hurry to send them out of the land for they said, all of us are dead. And why did they say all of us are dead? They said, this isn't like what Moses said. Moses says the firstborn will die. And we see five, ten people dying in the same household, meaning God was keeping his word, but they didn't, they didn't realize that the people dying were the firstborn of illicit relationships. So they just say, oh, wow, five sons died in that family. Well, that's not what God said. That's not what Moses said. Moses said the firstborn. So if God's already striking five in one house, I mean, who, who knows who's next? We're all targeted men. So go out, go out, go out. We're all dead. The Jewish people picked up the dough, which had not yet risen, their leftovers bound up in their garments, upon their shoulders. So this is, of course, a concept, I mean, in terms of the matzah that we eat, which is the dough that did not rise. Now, it's, it's, there's two concepts of the matzah that happened on the night of Passover. Because, of course, as the Egyptians are all dying, Jews are sitting and having a Seder, remember. On, by day, they had offered their Paschal lamb, roasted them, and were eating them at midnight as Egyptians were dying at midnight. So then when they were having their first Savior ever, they were eating the matzah that they had made prepared for the evening. Then there was another dough, so to speak, that this dough didn't rise. And again, there's lots of spiritual implications here. On the very simple storyline, well, the Egyptians said, get out of here, we're not giving you time to have your dough rise. But, of course, there really wasn't enough time. It was also a spiritual manifestation that God was so revealed, the dough itself was nullified to God's presence. So how in front of God's presence can you rise? The leftovers, it says, so they took the dough and they took the leftovers. The leftovers were the leftovers of the matzah and the leftovers of the bitter herbs. Obviously, it couldn't have been the leftovers from the Paschal offering because we know that means if anything, they were left over, it had to be burnt. So that they couldn't have taken with them. And they put it on their shoulders. Now here they are, that's a little weird. I mean, they, they, they were so rich. And they had so many animals. They had all of their animals. They have all the animals that the Egyptians gave them. They're taking their food and carrying it like, 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 like beggars, like vagabonds on a stick on their shoulders. But if they, this was the food of the commandment. This was such a special food. This was the first Passover ever, and they were the Jews leaving Egypt. So they treasured this food. They weren't going to put it on an animal. 
The children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they requested from the Egyptians silver vessels, gold vessels, and garments. <clears throat> so Moses had said to them, this is what you have to do. They asked for silver, they asked for vessels, and they asked for garments, which we see they thought was even more important because the verse is being written in significant order. Silver, and higher than silver is gold, and then higher than the gold are these garments. And God granted the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and they lent them, so they emptied Egypt. And it says when they, they, they lent them, meaning the Egyptians would say, oh, you want one? Take two, and go. And they emptied it out. They completely emptied out Egypt, meaning this verb could actually mean to save. But here it doesn't mean to save. It means to empty out. And this was also part of, I mean, everything here has lots of enormous spiritual significance that God, they could have just been terrified, the Egyptians, and giving it to them. I mean, the, the, the Jews are very scary people at this point in time. God was very fearsome, and the Jews were God's people. But it says that God gave grace in the eyes of the nation. That the Egyptians, for those minutes, in a supernatural way, because it was a miracle, really liked the Egyptians, the Jews, and really wanted to help them serve God, which, of course, is, is a model, is a paradigm for the whole idea of how ultimately the world is part of serving God, and the world wants to help the Jews serve God, of course, we'll see completely by the Messiah. We also see now that the non-Jews want to help the Jews serve God because that's how they serve God. So here God had to make a miracle because the Egyptians were definitely not in a space to be gracious to the Jews and be loving and warm to the Jews and want to help God. But this was superimposed on them to create the model of what will be in the future when truly the nations of the world will want to help us, as we currently see many do want to help us serve God. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot about 600,000 on foot, the men, besides the children. So this traveling from Ramses to Sukkos is a distance of about 120 mils. A mil is between 3,000 to 4,000 feet. So that, there was 120 of them. And so that's, that's, that's you know, we're talking about no, 40, 45 some, not 40, sorry, sorry. We're saying 400,000 some feet. That's, that's quite a distance. But they came there instantly. As it says, I carried you on the wings of eagles. Now, who's been counted? It says the men meaning from age 20 and older, those are the ones being counted that there were 600,000. But there's also all the women. There's also all the children. There's also people, the men that were younger, I mean, not, not children, but younger than 20. Because all males up to 20, not counted. All females, poets. There's a lot more people. The, the estimation is about 3 million Jews left Egypt. Also, great com- conglomeration, what we call the Ereva, went up with them and flock and cattle, very much livestock. Who is this great conglomeration? These were people from various nations who converted at this point. Now, converted obviously doesn't mean as we would understand it, that the Torah has been giving it, but these were primarily Egyptians that were like, whoa, we want to be Jewish. Look, the Jews are the winning team. 
let's jump on the winning bandwagon. Moses asked God, should he take them or not? And God said, do what you want. And Moses thought, okay, it's a good idea. More people want to serve God. But truly, as, as we know happened in the desert over the next 40 years, is that these people were always the thorn on the side of the Jews and led to much of their downfall in the desert. So Moses obviously meant well, but these people weren't sincere in their desire of connecting to God. They sincerely wanted to be part of the Jewish people, but because they were powerful, because they were the winners, because it was so cool. Not because of God in a sincere, pure way. And that's why, ultimately, they just harmed us. They baked the dough that they took out of Egypt into cakes of matzah, for it did not become leaven. They were different from Egypt. They could not delay, and also they had not made provisions for themselves. So the dough, because it did not rise, we're calling matzah, which, again, as we're saying, again, technically we think they had enough time to rise, had enough time to lots of other things before they left. The dough itself had become nullified by the revelation of God and It says also they didn't make provisions for themselves. Now, we could wonder why they didn't, but Rashi points out that the verse is saying this to praise the Jews. They didn't say, wait, we're going to a desert, three million people. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to survive? They believed in God and went. And this, many, many, many years later, the prophets bring out as the enormous praise of the Jews that we were so faithful to God, we didn't even question it. It wasn't even a question by us. What are you going to eat? I don't know. God will take care of us. We can do that. God will take care of us. Literally, literally, literally didn't even cross their mind. How are they going to survive in that desert? The habitation of the children of Israel, during which they dwelled in Egypt, was 430 years. Now, this is a very, very perplexing verse. Because they weren't in Egypt for 430 years. They were in Egypt for 210 years. So why is the verse saying they were there for 430 years? So, it doesn't just mean Egypt, Rashi explains, it means all the other dwellings in which they lived as foreigners in a land that was not there. In other words, the 430 is a totality from the birth of Isaac. When we first began, as we, we learned this before, that many, many years before Isaac was born, about approximately 100, Abraham is promised that his children will be strangers in a strange land, and will be afflicted and will ultimately leap and go out in great possessions, etc. So this edict, and it's told there for 400 years, the, Jew, the Jewish people will be afflicted. So this edict started, the clock started ticking as soon as there's children, Jewish children, which means Isaac. So even though Abraham was told this about 30 years before Isaac was born, the decree was like hovering. But as soon as Isaac was born, this tiny little baby, suddenly the clock starts ticking. We're just trying to kindness on God's part because the way God said to Abraham, it sounds like we are going to be afflicted in this foreign land, in other words, in Egypt, for 400 years. And God did not do that. From when Isaac was born, we already consider it fulfilling this promise of God because even though they were living in Israel, Isaac spent his entire life in Israel. He never stepped foot outside of Israel. But it was still like strangers in a strange land because of all the nations that were possessors of Israel at that time. Even when they were in Egypt, God's kindness continues because the Jews were in Egypt for 210 years, but they were not afflicted for 210 years. They were only afflicted for about 114 of those 210 years. And even within that, really harsh affliction was about 86 years. Again, 86 years is a very long time to be harshly afflicted. 
But in God's tremendous kindness, it wasn't 400. And it wasn't even 210. It wasn't even that 114 number. It was approximately 86 years. So for all that, roughly 114 years or a bit more. I forget the exact calculation now. From the passing of the last of the, of the sons of Jacob, from when Levi passed away, that's when the affliction started. But the affliction grew very intense the last 86 years of it. The Rashi, if you're looking inside, you see this is a very long Rashi. The Rashi is basically proving this point that it's impossible to say that the verse means that truly they were in Egypt for these years because if you would calculate all the years of Kairach, Moses' grandfather, who came to Egypt, and his son Amram, and the 80 years of Moses, he was 80 when they left, you don't have their 400 years. And obviously, Kairach and Amram's years and Moses' years all overlapped. And still, we don't have the 400 years. So obviously, it has to be in all the other lands as well. And then Rashi brings various verses that prove that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons, even when they were in the land of Israel, were considered like strangers. And we'll stop it.